This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Hoping to convince you the reality is usually scoffed at and conventional wisdom is often just an illusion. We're live on iHeartRadio, on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. You can shoot me an email. The address is RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, in the first half of today's show, we're going to talk about the the rollout of the Harris-Biden ticket. Um, I mean to say Biden-Harris ticket. <laughs> It's going to be the Harris-Biden ticket. She traveled to uh, Maine to a high school close by Joe Biden's basement. Apparently, he is so or they're so worried about his health that uh, they dare not take him out of his own neighborhood. So they, uh, I guess they wrapped him in bubble wrap and uh, took the bubble boy over to a local high school gym. <laughs> the air conditioner promptly f- failed at the gym, which delayed the uh, rollout by about an hour. And then their periscope went down. So once again, the the Biden campaign advance team uh, is not able to pull off an event without a hitch. But they were eventually able to go forward after keeping everybody waiting. Uh, They had just a handful of people inside. They, They took duct tape and made these circles on the gymnasium floor where everybody was allowed to sit or required to sit in their circle. And, uh, there was said to be a, a, a crowd outside. And when you saw a picture of this crowd, it numbered looked to be between 20 and 30 people that were just milling around, not social distancing, by the way. And, uh, and I, I'll give it to him. Joe Biden was able to get through his part of the announcement without committing any, uh, typical Joe Biden gas. Now, his portion of the speech was full of lies and misrepresentations and real head scratchers, but he read it off the teleprompter pretty effectively. That had the result of uh, panicking a lot of Trump supporters because this was uh, one of the very few times you can actually point to a speech that Biden was able to pull off without opening mouth and inserting foot. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, justified. I don't think that Pamela Harris is, uh, or Kamala, Kamala, I can't figure out, Harris, uh, is anything to worry about. I don't think she's going to wear very well on people, but 
again, you have to ask yourself, why is she able to travel around? She's in session, you know, the Republican Senate is in session. Uh, why is she able to travel around, but Joe Biden can't? I think we know the answer. And uh, that prompts the question that CNN was asking just as soon as Joe Biden made the announcement that uh, she is ready to step in as if and when Joe Biden decides to step aside. And that was the subtext in yesterday's. So which which one of these candidates looked more able to prosecute the campaign against uh, the, the Trump-Pence ticket, and which of them looked actually able to govern, had, had the energy and the coherence to govern, I don't think either one of them did. I, don't, I think both of them failed on that test. Both of them uh, engaged in these ad hominem attacks that have become the uh, the hallmark of these attacks on Donald Trump. They just call him a racist. They blame him for this. They blame him for that. They never offer any particulars because the particulars don't hold up. And once again, during Joe Biden's speech, he uh, repeated this um, a very fine people lie that, that Donald Trump called the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen that attended that rally in Charlotte three years ago very fine people. Here is what it sounded like. We have a racial cri- justice crisis. Donald Trump seeks only to inflame it with his politics of racist rhetoric and appeals to division. Well, there you go. There's one of the, an example of that ad hominem attack I spoke about. They, they, they never give any attack uh, uh, examples of these racial statements or attacks. Now, <laughs> on the flip side... We have got a a 40-year history of videotape, originally on VHS, I guess, of Joe Biden making racial racially charged statements. But, you know, he, he refers, and so did Kamala Harris, about the racial strife going on in the streets. Blames that on Donald Trump. Well, that that's not the, the Klansmen or the skinheads that are out there burning cities and killing people. I think the death toll in the Black Lives Matter Antifa riots stands at about 25 right now. But Joe wants to focus on what happened three years ago. You know, today is not only the day I'm proud to introduce Senator Kamala Harris as the vice presidential nominee of the Democratic Party. It's also the third anniversary of that terrible day in Charlottesville. Remember? Remember what it felt like to see those neo-Nazis? Close your eyes. Those Klansmen, white supremacists, coming out of fields, carrying lighted torches. Well, it's true they were carrying lighted torches, but unlike the Democrat uh, radicals and um, stormtroopers, they weren't actually lighting buildings on fire, burning people alive like uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa did in Minnesota. Faces contorted, bulging, veins, pouring into the streets of historic American city, spewing the same anti-Semitic bile we heard in Hitler's Germany in the 30s. <laughs> well, you know where else you can hear that anti-Semitic bile? Right there in the House of Representatives coming out of the mouths of two elected Democrat representatives in the form of Ilhan Omar and uh, and uh, 
the other from Detroit. Uh, I'll think of her name in a second. But they regularly take to the well Rashida Tlaib. They regularly take to the well of the House of Representatives and spew the anti-Semitic bile that Joe Biden is so offended by. Remember how it felt to see a violent clash ensue between those celebrating hate and those standing against it? Yes, indeed. Antifa did come to town armed and ready for a fight and attacked the uh, the Nazis and the Klansmen, and oh, by the way, the historic preservationists that were there just uh, uh, protesting the removal of historic statues had Antifa not shown up and prompted uh, this attack. It probably w- it would have been offensive to see the Klansmen and the Nazis out there, but it wouldn't have resulted in the violent conflict that Joe Biden describes. It was a wake-up call for all of us as a country. For me, it was a call to action. Well, apparently he's gone back to sleep because the violence that's going on in the street and has been for the last three months hasn't stirred Joe Biden to say a single word against Antifa or Black Lives Matter or condemn this violence. My father used to say, silence is complicity, not original to him, but he believed it. At that moment, I knew I couldn't stand by and let Donald Trump, a man who went on to say when asked about what he thought, he said there were very fine people on both sides. Well, there it is. There is the lie. And it's been a thoroughly debunked lie. I don't know how much the lie has penetrated the consciousness of the low information voters and how much they believe it. But the truth of the matter is, Joe Biden is telling you right there that his whole campaign is based on a lie. Quote, very fine people on both sides. No president of the United States of America has ever said anything like that. Oh, (laughs) no president of the United States has ever made any racist statements like that. I think you need to go back and look in the history of Democrat presidents. From the very first Democrat president that supported slavery all the way up to, oh, Lyndon Johnson, who regularly made racist statements. And, you know, you could say that uh, that Joe Biden himself has made far more offensive race, racist statements, especially when you consider that the statement that he's attributing to Trump is an act, actually a lie. See him continue to attack everything that makes America, America. He is attacking everything that makes America, America. Well, as a matter of fact, he's trying to restore the things that made America, America. I'm going to play you a long clip. It's uh, it's the entire statement that Donald Trump made in reaction to the, the violence in Charlottesville three years ago. Because we continue to have to knock down this lie. You're putting what you're calling the alt-left and white supremacists on the same moral plane. 
I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other and they came at each other with clubs and it was vicious and it was horrible and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side, you can call them the left, you've just called them the left, that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. You said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. Are, are, well, I do think there's blame. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it. And you don't have any doubt about it either. And, 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 and if you reported it accurately, you would say. They showed up in Charlottesville. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue. He was talking, obviously, about the peaceful historical preservationists that were there to protect statues that had had graced Charlottesville, Virginia, for decades, and in some cases, uh, more more than 100 years. They are fine people, historic preservationists, and there were clergy that wanted those uh, statues removed on the other side. Those two, those people too, very fine people. It's obvious what he's saying. And the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down? Excuse me. Are we going to take down? Are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now, are we going to take down his statue? Well, I think we know the answer to that question now. Yes, they're trying to take down monuments to Washington and Jefferson. As a matter of fact, they have taken down statues of Jefferson right there on uh, the campus in Charlottesville, Virginia, at the University of Virginia that, that Jefferson founded. They they covered a Jefferson statue up. They've taken down statues of Ulysses S. Grant. There is no statue that the Marxist Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa movements want to uh, haven't attacked because they will. They want to destroy our history. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. Uh, uh, is that hard for Joe Biden to understand? Joe, listen up. Are we going to take down his statue? So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. You, got a, you, had a lot of bad, you had a lot of bad people in the other group, too. You had a lot of bad people in the other group, too. So it's... It, you know, it's hard to believe that your 
foundation for your presidential run is going to be based on such a transparent lie. Like I said, I don't know how many people are still buying into this lie, but if Joe Biden continues to tell it, eventually people are going to learn that they are being lied to. Here's another statement that Joe Biden made during his first half of the announcement. Fixing the mess that President Trump and Vice President Pence have created, both at home and abroad, through four years of mismanagement and coddling of terrorists and thugs around the world. Well, there's a new one, coddling of terrorists. So it was the Obama-Biden administration that said the elimination of ISIS was going to be a generational project, that it was, was going to take decades to root them out. <laughs> Donald Trump did it in about six months. Joe Biden, when Donald Trump uh, killed the most prolific terrorist in the M Middle East, Iran's General Soleimani, condemned Donald Trump for uh, for killing a terrorist. The uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS raged, romped across the Middle East during all eight years of the Obama administration. They didn't do anything about it. Donald Trump defeated ISIS, routed Al-Qaeda, and is trying to get us out of this quagmire in the Middle East. Compare that with Joe Biden's um, advice had to, make it. to to uh, Obama when they were trying to decide whether or not to take out bin Laden. And we had to make a decision. The president, he went around the table with all the senior people, including the, George, the chiefs of staff. And he said, I have to make this decision. What is your opinion? He started the national security advisor, the secretary of state, and he ended with me. Every single person in that room hedged their bet, except Leon Panetta. Leon said, go. Everyone else said, 49, 51, this so it got to me. He said, Joe, what do you think? And I said, you know, I didn't know we had so many economists around the table. I said, we owe the man a direct answer. Mr. President, my suggestion is don't go. We have so Joe Biden, his advice was don't take out Osama bin Laden. And then he has the nerve to come on there spouting another lie that Donald Trump has coddled terrorists. It's really unreal. <clears throat> We've got to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at Kamala Harris's portion of the speech. Stick with us. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Well, I said that uh, Kamala Harris's position in this campaign is going to be an attack dog, and that's exactly what 
she did during her portion of the speech yesterday. And let me tell you, as somebody who has presented my fair share of arguments in court, the case against Donald Trump and Mike Pence is open and shut. Just look where they've gotten us. More than 16 million out of work. Millions of kids who cannot go back to school. A crisis of poverty, of homelessness, afflicting black, brown, and indigenous people the most. A crisis of hunger, afflicting one in five mothers who have children that are hungry. Uh, so we're going to go through some of these uh, these lies that Kamala Harris told. First is that she that the president has plunged us into a worse economic crisis since the Great Depression. That's absolutely false. The pandemic and its lockdowns are responsible for the economic contraction. But this president has tried to urge governors across the nation to reopen their economy. And when you look at the United States compared to the Eurozone, the other industrialized economy that she mentioned there, the United States is doing much better than any of them. You're, even Germany. Germany is doing pretty well. The United States is doing a little bit better than them, but they're doing better than the rest of the European. Or the United States is doing better than the rest of the European Union. She referenced schools. Kids can't go back to school. Well, it's not Donald Trump that's got the schools locked down. That's Democrat governors and the teachers union across this country. He has urged us to follow the lead of the European Union who have had their schools open and have not had any negative results as a consequence. She went on to compare the Ebola uh, crisis and said that that's how you handle it. Well, the Ebola crisis was entirely different. We recognized or identified the Ebola crisis early on, and there were only a very few people that were transported from that region in Africa to the United States. And they were kept in quarantine the whole time. She says that Trump never took the, the uh, Wuhan virus seriously. Well, he held daily briefings for, it seemed like about six weeks, mobilized uh, the industrial base of this country to start making ventilators, stood up, Temporary hospitals across the nation in hotspots closed the borders. I don't know what taking seriously would look like if, if he didn't take it seriously. And she tries to claim that the United States has been impacted worse than almost every other country. That's wrong, too. Many, many industrialized nations in the European Union have suffered more fatalities per capita than the United States, including Belgium. United Kingdom, Spain, Italy, Sweden. <laughs> Was Donald Trump responsible for that too? It's really unbelievable. Just one lie after another. They never dig into the the uh, the statistics of any of this. It's all ad hominem. They just make a charge and then they move on to the next lie. But seeing those two stand up there together was really quite amazing. After Kamala Harris, basically during the the, uh, the Democrat primaries, accused Joe Biden of rape 
and sexual harassment. She said she believed his accusers. She rightly pointed out that Joe Biden was a staunch segregationist that played footsie with, uh, you know, the other Democrat segregationists. He tries to accuse Donald Trump of being a racist. Well, Donald Trump never gave the eulogy at a former grand cyclops or Klegus or whatever they call it for the Ku Klux Klan. That was Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave the eulogy for Robert Byrd, Democrat Robert Byrd, the longest serving member in the U.S. Senate. He eulogized him. He said wonderful things about James Eastman of Mississippi, again, another Democrat. <laughs> it's it's almost like, you know, going through the looking glass. I guess the Democrats can get away with these lies because they've got the mainstream media running interference for them. But I don't think we're going to be they're going to be able to continue to tell these lies all the way through this. And I think that Michael Savage, you can calm down. Scott Adams, you can calm down. The truth will out, and we've got almost three months to go in this election. Stick with us. We'll be right back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Probably no president in modern history has suffered a more hostile and dishonest press than Donald Trump. Our media has abandoned all pretense of objectivity and has busied itself violating its own time-honored journalistic ethics and standards. One standard that's been kicked to the curb is the -the off-the-record conversation, where reporters have confidential discussions on background, but not for publication. My next guest knows a little bit about this. We're joined now by Madeline Westerhout, former director of Oval Office Operations and author of the new book, Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It and What I Learned. You can get the book now on Amazon. Madeline, thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for having me this morning. So you had a front row seat to the decline and fall of American journalism in the age of Trump, and it cost you your job as the president's executive assistant. It for did, the, yes. For the listeners who aren't familiar with that episode about one year ago, tell us what happened. Sure, absolutely. So I was with Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, from the moment he stepped into the Oval Office, and uh, I had a lapse of judgment one night after a couple drinks by the pool on a rare day off, and 
accepted an invitation to what was supposed to be an off-the-record dinner, dun, dun, made dun. some comments. Yeah, <laughs> uh, made some comments that I didn't mean, and then uh, and, and uh, yeah, I just didn't mean to say and don't believe. And those comments uh, eventually got back to the president. Uh, I do take full responsibility for my actions that night, though, uh, even though it was supposed to be an off-the-record dinner. Well, you know, Madeline, we all make mistakes. It's kind of refreshing to hear somebody acknowledge it and take responsibility for it. More more often, we get these tell-all books uh, that, you know, um, try to juice sales by piling on the the president. Uh, So I was impressed by your your book and taking responsibility and uh, the stories you relate are very interesting. I want the listeners to hear what happened shortly after you agreed to that that off-the-record meeting with the – the White House press corps. Out front now, White House reporter for Politico, Daniel Lippman, and White House reporter for The Wall Street Journal, Michael Bender. Daniel, you broke the story of exactly what it was that Madeleine Westernhouse said about Trump's ch- children. Tell us the details. Yes, I called around uh, lots of sources in Washington uh, because everyone in D.C. was wondering what exactly she said to get fired. And what I found out is that she bragged to the reporters that she had a better relationship with the president than Tiffany. We're not going to listen anymore. That is really just tabloid, you know, uh, grocery store checkout line tabloid journalism. There was no news value in it other than, you know, uh, an opportunity that apparently couldn't be resisted to smear the president. That's so true. And, you know, I I think about this a lot and there's literally no one, not a single person that gained anything from this story. And, you know, I don't think the reporters cared about me at all, but I do know that they cared about hurting this president and his family. And they did just that. Well, the reporter that is uh, uh, believed to have burned you was Philip Rucker of the Wall Street Journal. Did he ever acknowledge that he was the one that did it or or apologize to you? Um, I do love the Wall Street Journal, so I will correct you and just say um, he is from the Washington Post. Please excuse me. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. Uh, you know, I've, I've actually heard a lot of theories about how exactly the information was was shared, and I've decided that it's not really worth my time anymore to, to kind of rehash that. Um but I, I never heard from Philip Rucker after that dinner. Well, most people in this country get their their information from mainstream media sources, uh, the New York Post. I mean, the New York Times and the Washington Post and mm-hmm. the network TV uh, and to a lesser degree, the cable news stations. Uh, and we're presented with a caricature of the president. Uh, describe the side of the president you saw and how it compares with that caricature. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good point. You know, this the mainstream media hated Donald Trump from the second he announced he was a Republican and running for office. And they still haven't almost four years later, still have not gotten over the fact that he is our president. And so they just never fail or they never are able to report on anything positive about him. And I think that's so interesting with my book is that, you know, everyone was expecting me after I left to write this juicy tell all. And then the second I announced I was writing a positive book, it was complete crickets. So they just have no interest in, in reporting anything positive. And the man that I got to know uh, is a kind and generous man who loves his country and wakes up every single day and fights for the American people. He's also, by all appearances, a very good father to all of his children. You know, the the attack that the media made in, uh, by breaking uh, the off-the-record conventions, uh, you know, had to be very hurtful to him, but you apologized, you took responsibility, and he was very, 
magnanimous and gracious in, in uh, offering you forgiveness as well, wasn't he? He was, absolutely. And I will say he is an incredible father and he's an incredible husband. Um, but he, he was so gracious to forgive me right away. And, and that's the man that I know. Uh, I, I made sure that I apologized to him and he accepted my apology. So you got any stories from the White House that wouldn't violate any, uh, any uh, <laughs> confidences that you could relate to the listeners? Well, Jim, you know, I'm a, I worked for a businessman for a very long time, and so I'm not going to give too much away before uh, your listeners are able to buy my book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do, I do go into, you know, my time in the White House, and my desk was right outside of the Oval Office. And so pretty much everybody that came into the Oval Office walked right past me. So I got to meet a lot of very interesting people. And, and I do uh, tell stories about my time there. And um, you know, I, I had the most incredible experience working for President Trump, and I don't think that story has been told enough times. And, and so I just wanted to tell tell my story, which is a positive one about my experience working for a great man. One of the things that the media likes to pretend is that the president uh, doesn't have a strong work ethic and spends a lot of time oh. holed up in his bedroom uh, eating a quarter pounders and uh, and watching the <laughs> fake news media. Uh, I don't know how they believe that he ever built a, a multi-billion dollar real estate empire with such a poor work ethic. Uh, what did you see with regards to the president's work, work ethic? Uh, I saw a man that ran circles around every single employee in the West Wing. He was up before the rest of us and he went to bed later than the rest of us. This guy, he never stops working. And everything he does, he does because he believes it's in the best interests of the American people. So, uh, you know, again, this just goes back to how much the mainstream media dislikes this president and can't even begin to remotely give him credit for all of the amazing things that he has been doing. Well, how's your life now? Did you land on your feet? Uh, what's in the future for Madeline Westerhout? Yeah, I did. You know, I'm back home in Southern California. I've taken the past uh, eight or so months to write this book, which was a full-time job. And now I think, you know, we're in really uncertain times in this country. And so I think like most of Americans, I'm spending time with my family, focusing on my health and, uh, and just really excited about whatever opportunities come to come next. But I want to make sure before this election, the American people know the real Donald Trump. Well, uh, prior to uh, coming on with the Trump administration, you uh, worked at the uh, Republican National Committee. Have you been so um, burned uh, by this episode that you're bitter? Or do you plan on getting back into politics uh, once you um, have have gotten some perspective? Yeah, no, I'm not bitter at all. I just think uh, D.C. is D.C. And, and working in politics is not for the faint of heart. And I had the most amazing job you can have in politics. And so you, you can't really replicate that. And I think um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in my future, but I'm not really closing the door on anything yet. But uh, right now, just excited to kind of be out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> well, we, knew, we need some uh, new elected representatives out of Orange County, California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to turn it back red. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Maybe um, we can get as uh, uh, expert as vote, at vote harvesting as the Democrats were in the 2018 <laughs> cycle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't, I'm not sure if I if I ever want to be in the public eye again, um, but just really excited about telling my story and hopefully providing a breath, a breath of fresh air. Like you said, I don't think, you know, I think everybody makes mistakes. And so I hope that people can, can kind of relate to my story and, and appreciate that I took responsibility for my actions. 
Well, I'm reading your book now, and it is uh, refreshing and uplifting, and I'd uh, recommend it to all the readers. Madeline Westerhout, former director of Oval Office Operations and author of the new book, Off the Record, My Dream Job at the White House, How I Lost It and What I Learned. You can get the book now on Amazon, and you can follow Madeline on Twitter at M.E. Westerhout. That's M-E-W-E-S-T-E-R-H-O-U-T. Madeline, thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great day. Thank you so much, Jim. Great to be with you. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. Well, in this age of the Wuhan virus and the Black Lives Matter pandemics, uh, Americans were very anxious to get back to uh, some sense of normalcy, and that includes professional sports. I'm no big soccer fan, but I was ready to watch soccer uh, now that uh, the NBA and the uh, the uh, National Football League and Major League Baseball have all started taking a knee, but uh, that's not to be. Uh, the soccer teams are all kneeling during the National Anthem as well. Out in Frisco, Texas, uh, there was a, a crowd assembled of, of about 3,000 people to watch uh, the FC Dallas play uh, the Nashville Soccer Club. And right on cue, uh, as they were playing the National Anthem, players and the referees all knelt during uh, the, the anthem. That prompted uh, several of the 3,000 members in attendance to uh, start chanting USA and booing the uh, the athletes and uh, a odd thing happened uh, whereas once it was considered offensive to kneel before uh, or during the national anthem now it's considered to, uh, offensive to object to it here is uh, one of their players reggie cannon of fc dallas complaining about what happened and if you had heard them uh i think it was disgusting I think it was absolutely disgusting. You, you got fans booing you for people taking a stand for what they believe in when millions of other people support this cause. And we've discussed with every other team and the league what we're going to do. And we got fans booing us in our own stadium. Yeah, they're booing you in your own stadium, and they're probably going to stop coming out to watch your games and uh, and not watch them on TV either. So, you know, you just keep on kneeling. As a matter of fact, while you're down there kneeling, why don't you just stay there in submission to this Marxist Black Lives Matter movement? Because you appear to do that better than you uh, you actually play soccer there in uh, in Dallas. Let's dip back in here. I even I even knew when we decided to kneel, I knew it was going to happen. I had a feeling that that that's how, that's that should that should tell you guys something that I knew is gonna we we're gonna have some negative pushback. You think from having a unified response over what's going on? That's what's the- going on? Black Lives Matter is burning and looting cities all across this country. They are um, quite transparently a Marxist organization. So yeah, you're gonna piss off a lot of patriots that see you submit to this. 
I haven't watched sports uh, in quite a while now. Uh, I've been tempted to to uh, tune in to National Hockey League, but even there, you've got some submissive uh, athletes that have been uh, uh, genuflecting to the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, as you know, we've had a complete and utter collapse of law and order in Democrat cities and states throughout this nation. Out in Portland, the newly installed Monmouth County District Attorney named Mike Schmidt, he's another one of these Soros District Attorneys, announced that he's only going to be prosecuting those who were arrested for crimes that don't involve... Oh, he, he's announced that he will only be prosecuting crimes that don't involve deliberate property damage, force against another person, or threats of force. He's going to drop all charges that include interfering with police, disorderly conduct, criminal trespass, or harassment. So basically, this uh, this new Soros DA out there, Mike Schmidt, I think he's been on the job just a very few days, has a, has given a green light to the rioters to go ahead and and. There's no indication that they're they're not going to take him up on that. Last night, I think they were entering into about the 70th night of rioting. They've returned to the Hatfield Federal Courthouse in downtown Portland. The state police are trying to keep them at bay, but uh, they're running up against the same problems that the uh, federal law enforcement did. Last night, they uh, they set a big fire and they they cooked a uh, a pig's head and a Trump flag, and, and they were also shooting mortars at the federal courthouse. I wonder if Mike Schmidt would see his way clear to um, prosecuting people that are firing mortars at federal property. They tried to breach the fence again. And, uh, and out in California, Mike Schmidt's counterpart, Kim Fox, there have been a, a, a studies done by the Chicago Tribune that shows that in her first three years in office, and she's up for re-election, she, <laughs> she has been, in fact, uh, endorsed for re-election by Lori Lightweight, the mayor of Chicago. But Kim Fox, in her first three years on the job, has dismissed 25,000 felony cases. The, uh, the story doesn't say how many she's actually prosecuted, but, you know, 25,000 cases of felonies, <laughs> that's a big number. And basically what she's, she's doing is turning criminals back out on the street. Many of these criminals were arrested in the aftermath of the, the uh, Black Lives Matter riots in Minneapolis. And, uh, and just like a revolving door, she released them with no bail and then subsequently drop the charges. The Fraternal Order of Police President in Chicago, John Catanza, issued a letter to the U.S. attorney out there calling for federal prosecutions of people that are, were arrested during the looting and the, uh, the riots. In the letter, the FOP president that was hand-delivered Thursday morning, he accused Kim Fox of failing to take actions against these defendants on the state level. Our members were subject to threats, both verbally and physically. We were battered with all types of bricks and rocks and stood in line to help protect the citizens and their property, Catanzaro wrote. 
Our officers did this with the understanding that these looters and criminals would be prosecuted and held to account for their action. But this appears not to be the case. He said this is very plainly and without expl- uh, explanations has decreed that her office has initiated a presumption of dismissal on a whole host of charges. She makes this claim uh, proclamation under the arbitrary theory that the offenders were protesters and somehow had the right to commit crimes due to the unfortunate death of George Floyd in Minnesota. So the police have been hamstrung. They've uh, not been allowed to do their jobs. They've not been allowed to defend themselves. And now even when they do make arrests, these Soros district attorneys that are in cities across this nation, in Chicago, in Washington, in Portland, Seattle, Oakland, Los Angeles, Houston, and Dallas, Texas, are following up on their marching orders from George Soros and just um, you know not prosecuting criminals. And uh, what you can expect as a result of this, of course, is a continuation of this, uh, this lawlessness out in uh, out in uh, Colorado, out in Chicago, the local black lives matter leader said that, uh, well, it's not looting. It's really, well, you listen. I don't care if somebody decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike because that makes sure that that person eats. That makes sure that that person has clothes. That makes sure that that person can make some kind of money because this city obviously doesn't care about them. Not only that, that's reparations. That's reparations. In front of the first police district. So apparently Gucci and Best Buys are responsible for paying reparations. She went on to say that, well, they've got insurance, so it really doesn't matter. Which shows the level of understanding of of these Black Lives Matter activists. When when insurance companies have to pay premiums, everybody's premiums go up. So we're all, including her, if she carries insurance on anything, paying the reparations that she has decreed that these looters are harvesting. So Minneapolis, Minnesota was ground zero for the George Floyd riots. They claim that uh, George Floyd was murdered, despite the fact that he had lethal levels of fentanyl in his system. But the rioters out there responded by burning whole city blocks, looting uh, the Target store and the AutoZone and many others, burning down a police precinct. Well, now it's coming out that uh, the uh, Minneapolis uh, government is requiring that the owners of the businesses that were destroyed in riots pay their remaining taxes for the year before they will be issued a demolition permit in order to clean up the remains of their businesses that the city withdrew the police and allowed to be torched to the ground. This is just adding uh, insult to injury. Well, I guess it's adding insult to insult and injury because it was an insult that these businesses were required to pay taxes, a lot of taxes in Minneapolis, to have police protection. They weren't delivered that police protection. And now to add 
to that insult. Minneapolis is demanding that they pay their property taxes before they're allowed to rebuild. I tell you what I would do, especially if if this property was in a uh, corporate name, I would declare bankruptcy, walk away from it, and let Minneapolis deal with the, the wreckage of their idiot policies. Here's an interesting story from the American Thinker by Monica Showalter. If you're not reading Monica Showalter's columns, she publishes four or five times a week on the American Thinker. She is one of the best. You're tempted to call her a blogger, but uh, her, her columns are a much better quality than you'll read in most of the mainstream media. You remember Rachel Dolezal, the the white woman out in Spokane, Washington, that was the, pretending to be black and headed the local chapter of the NAACP? <laughs> well, now members uh, who are working uh, for that NAACP has a successor. Now the one, Rachel Dolezal has a successor. Now members at the National Organization of Women told the Daily Beast that they were shocked when B.J. Starr, a current board member, identified herself as an Asian American in campaign materials. Starr was born Barbara Benskinnik. She had never identified herself before in previous campaigns as being an Asian American, going back all the way to 1984. But multiple members said that the, that Starr has identified herself as a woman of color. Despite this, Starr's bio on the candidate's website says she intends to build the NOWS diversity membership as an Asian American. If you look at photos of Miss Starr, <laughs> doesn't look much like an Asian American to me. Asia's, uh, you know, mostly when we consider people of Asian descent, we're talking about Orientals. I'm not sure if that's a politically correct word any longer. But Asia is, in fact, a very big place. And uh, Miss Starr has sort of a, a Slavic-looking last name, which might mean that her ancestors came from Russia or Siberia or the Urals or Ukraine. And those are, in fact, considered Asian. So everybody who's trying to get on board the, the, the victimhood bandwagon. It's not exactly what you think of when you speak of Asian or Asian outreach. And once again, we, uh, we have seen a case like Rachel Dolezal or Sean King or these other pretenders that are trying to get on board the victimhood bandwagon. Is it cultural appropriation or political advantage? What is it about these ambitious whites that are in increasing numbers claiming to be members of protected minorities? I wonder what happened to Rachel Dolezal. She pioneered this, uh, this tactic claiming to be an, African-American, she was dyeing her skin and had uh, dyed her hair. She was a, a, a pale um, blonde girl from the upper Midwest. Elizabeth Warren also got in on this. She played uh, a, a, an American Indian for decades. When you look at 
photos of her when she was young. She was blonde. And then when she went to college, all of a sudden her hair turned black and she started combing it uh, in a uh, a squaw hairdo, if I'm allowed to say that. So on uh, Tuesday's show, we talked a little bit about the the predicament of Jerry Falwell Jr., who had a, a major lapse in good judgment and allowed himself to be photographed with his uh, his pants unbuttoned and his zipper down a little bit uh, with his arm around a young lady who had her pants open too. You know, they're holding the solo cups. Well, now he's being placed on indefinite leave by Liberty University, the the huge, sprawling Virginia University that his father founded. Politico published this article. Uh, it's written by a gay Catholic writer named Brandon Ambrosso, and uh, it uh, it basically smeared Falwell. Many people at Liberty University, though, including the deputies, are starting to notice an attempted coup that sought to unseat the president of the university and seize control of the school. And this is not the first time this has happened. Earlier uh, attempts to unseat Falwell, he's been under, under constant attack. And finally, this photo that uh, Falwell stupidly posted to his own Instagram he was out on a yacht, and uh, they, uh, the left is now deploying the cancel playbook against him. So Liberty University recently announced uh, that uh, Jerry Jr. will take an indefinite leave. They're moving at warp speed to appoint an interim president. The chairman of the school, Dr. Jerry Prevo, will now serve as the acting president pending the appointment of an interim president. You know, I think that there ought to be enough room for forgiveness in an organization like Liberty University to, uh, to allow Jerry Falwell to apologize, express contrition, and, and be granted forgiveness. We'll have to see how this plays out. I certainly am pulling for Jerry Falwell Jr., and I hope he comes back. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us. And I hope you'll come back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is... What's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more.